You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. What does it look like to read this text in light of Palm Sunday? And the tension that arises with Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week, leading to the Thursday night when Jesus had his last meal with his followers, and Friday night when he was betrayed, and Thursday night when he was betrayed, and Friday night when he's crucified, when he dies. That tension between his sovereign lordship, hailed by men, women, and children, and the suffering servant, scorned. by the crowds in Jerusalem. And what happens when we take some time to consider that the same Jesus who's at work through Peter is the one who was hailed on Palm Sunday and betrayed later in the week and suffered and died so that these transformations could become a reality so that the world could be completely transformed, that a new age would dawn, and this kind of ministry could take place. The tension of Palm Sunday, Holy Week, Good Friday, all of that, that tension is aimed at what Jesus wants to do for us and what he wants to do in us. He dies so that he can do something for us, so that he can forgive us, so that our sin can be forgiven. What can wash away my sin? Amen? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. But that's not the end of the gospel, is it? It's the beginning of the gospel. Because the one who is hailed with shouts of Hosanna, son of David, is also the resurrected, risen, and reigning Lord. And so the one who does something for us on Friday now reigns in heaven so that he can do something through his church. Just like he's doing something through Peter for Aeneas and Tabitha. And as we, like when we come to this text and we think about that tension, Suffering servant, what kind of character emerges when we look at Jesus on Good Friday? Who is this man? That's the question that's asked. And we have to answer, he's the Holy One. He's the one who suffers. He's the one who looks not to his interests, but to the interests of who? Others. Us. So the Sovereign Lord is the one who looks completely and thoroughly, with nothing held back, to your interests and mine. You don't get crucified because you're looking out for number one, do you? The suffering servant is always completely consumed with love for his father and his people. And he offers himself thoroughly, nothing held back. Jesus praised, is Jesus scorned, and the scorned suffering Jesus dies for those who turn their back on him. 
And if we kind of keep that in mind, that character of Jesus revealed through his suffering and self-giving love, so that he can do something not only for us, but through us, then we begin to see how the ministry of Jesus and the gospel and the entire story of Acts, and especially this obscure story at the end of Acts 9, are really the same story. Because the thing that we find again and again and again in both places is that when we embody the character of Jesus, those around us are drawn to Jesus. When we embody the character of Christ, when His life becomes our reality, when we are transformed, it has transformative power through Christ and the Spirit on those around us. And so my question is, would you like to have a transformative impact on the people around you? I see a few head nods. Somebody's like, yeah, yeah, sounds all right. I can deal with that. Yeah, a little transformative influence. Sounds great. Seriously, do you want to have transformative influence on your family and your coworkers and your children and your grandchildren, your Sunday school class, the church, your neighbors, the nations? Do you want to have transformative, Christ-honoring influence? I mean, that's what we see in Acts, isn't it? Transformative Christ-honoring influence. But it only comes, and this is what's We're going to see this as it's borne out in Peter's ministry. It only comes when the church makes herself thoroughly offered to Jesus to embody His life and character to those with whom she's administered. When we embody the character of Christ, those around us are drawn to Him. So we got Peter. A lot's been going on for Peter. And so he goes out and begins to travel around to some of the different churches. Immediately we see that the churches in Acts are not autonomous, sort of self-defined, like there's a church over there, and there's a church over there, and yeah, they're kind of in the same movement, but there's no like deep connection. Peter is exercising apostolic authority in all of them. Right? So the churches in the whole area have Peter exercising some sort of pastoral, ministerial, apostolic authority over all these different churches. So he goes around to care for them, to see what's going on, to, keep, to, to, to find out how things are in these different places. And it's really striking to me, particularly important, that he doesn't just visit important places, does he? He doesn't just go to the places everybody's heard about. In fact, a lot of us... Realized a few minutes ago that we've never heard of some of the places he's going to. I mean, we know some of the big famous places, Jerusalem and Jericho and places like that. But how many of us have ever heard about Peter's ministry in this random town, Lydda? And we haven't. So again, remember Jesus said, I'm going to take you apostles and I'm going to make you my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. And we kind of focus on the big places, don't we? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We know those. We're familiar with those. And we forget Jesus said, all Judea. <laughs> all of it. And in this text, we see how Peter is really living into that. He goes to all of it. Even the places that are kind of backwater. You, don't, you can't get there from here off the beaten path kind of places. So he goes to care of these people to minister with them that we don't know in a place we haven't heard of 
so that they can have the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and be cared for as part of the life of the church. When he gets there, he finds this guy, Aeneas. And Aeneas is in a bed. Reading through some of the commentaries this week, and one of the commentators points out that the word for bed here is really kind of temporary cot. So you know those things, you get them at Walmart, and you pull them out when the company comes over. If you don't have a nicer air mattress, and you can, like, you can barely get them put together. It's like metal and canvas, and they're these cots. You would not want to sleep on that for eight years, would you? This guy's on this cot temporary years. And people are having to take care of him. And he's unwell. He's paralyzed. And Peter just shows up. We don't get a lot of detail. We don't hear about the chit-chats like, oh, how's your cousin? None of that. The first thing out of Peter's mouth is, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make up your bed. And if we're attentive readers, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? And why does it sound familiar? Real question, why does it sound familiar? It sounds a lot like what Jesus did, doesn't it? Jesus goes around telling lame men, get up, take up your bed, and walk, doesn't he? And so, you got to be reading this with your eyes closed to not see the comparison between Peter and Jesus, right? Now, we're not supposed to think Peter is equal to Jesus. We're not supposed to be thinking that Peter is, you know, on the level of Jesus himself, because Peter doesn't say, hey, I've healed you. Jesus would do that. Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. But Peter doesn't say, I'm going to do this for you. What does he say? Jesus Christ heals you. And so what is Peter doing? What is, he understands that it is his vocation to represent Jesus and embody the life of Jesus to this guy who's been on a cot Temporary bedding for eight years in a town nobody ever heard of. Peter understands that the church is called to embody the life and presence of Jesus wherever they go. And that sometimes you're supposed to go to places you wouldn't normally go. And what happens when he does that? Immediately the guy gets up, his life is changed. He's transformed, and consequently, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So there's this correlation, isn't there? We don't get a lot of details, but we get these details. Peter says, Jesus heals you. The guy is made well, his life is transformed, and consequently, lots of people become Christians. They convert. They follow Jesus. They become believers. Peter embodies the character of Jesus and makes himself thoroughly available for whatever the Lord wants. Everything in Peter at this moment is yes to Jesus, isn't it? He could hang out in Jerusalem with the power players. He's gaining some influence. Everybody knows him and they're big fans. I'm going to go down to this other town that, no, that, 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 that you don't go to very often. He could have continued with the apostles, but instead he goes to minister to this lame man Aeneas. He could have hung back. He could have worked his agenda. He could have stayed with his preferences. But instead, what does he do? 
Everything in his life is yes to Jesus. Is it not? Everything in Peter's life is yes to Jesus. And what happens? One life is changed and lots of people become disciples. And I read that and I'm sitting back and I'm thinking how easily we hold part of our lives back from the Lord, don't we? We don't want to admit it, but we do. And we get consumed with so many other things. We get tied in with obligations. Our schedules are like overly busy. We spend so much time scrolling through pictures that only make us jealous. It's so easy for us to just sort of say, I'll get to Jesus on Sunday, maybe Wednesday, but I got to be at the ballpark, <laughs> and I got to get to work, and I got that appointment, and it's so easy, isn't it? And I mean, like, learn this, this pastor learns this from experience when there's 18 ball games in the next seven days. Amen? Yeah, right. You think that's an exaggeration. It's not. <laughs> right? Life just takes us and it consumes us and it says, this will be your Lord and that will be your Lord and this will be your Lord. And who is Jesus? And it's so easy. Who's got time to go to Lydda when you got to get to the next thing? And I wonder if we're not invited I don't wonder, obviously. We're invited. We say, what would it look like if we just carve out some space and begin to identify those things in our life and on our schedule that draw us and draw our energy away from Jesus? It's not to say those things are bad, like I'm coaching the baseball team. It's important, crucial to be there in relation with my kid and other kids and to teach important things, sportsmanship and how to lose well and things like that. Those are important. It's not a sin to play ball, I hope. <laughs> the question is, right, is my heart being drawn away from my Lord? Or do I show up at the game with everything still yes to Jesus and whatever he wants to do in that for us. So we get Peter and we get Aeneas and the question for us is everything in your heart yes to this Lord. And when it is, he's going to take his character and he's going to take your body and he's going to fill your body up with his character. Tip of your toes to the top of your head. And when he does that, when his character is thoroughly, completely covering every aspect of your life and filling every aspect of your being, when that happens, your life will change, your neighbor's life will change, and people will be drawn to Jesus. It's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. Like This is the plan it's always been the plan. It will always be the plan. That when the people of God embody the character of Jesus, Jesus draws people to himself. That's his, that's his 
It's not complicated. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't need a strategic plan to figure this out. <laughs> it's very clear. It's right here on the surface of Scripture. If it's not clear enough, we get another story. We get another account. Some similarities. Now we go to Joppa. Now, some of us have heard of Joppa. It's not quite as maybe backwoods as Lydda. It's not far from Lydda. Now we get to Joppa, and there's a, there's a lady there, a disciple. Her name is Tabitha. Uh, the Greek version of her name, if you prefer Greek, is Dorcas. So just file that away if that's your preference. You can go either way. She was devoted to good works, acts of charity, made garments for people. This is like the lady who is clothing the poor. That's her ministry in this place. After she dies, people are kind of showing off the tunics and other clothing that she had made and provided for. And so when she dies, there's a, a vacuum. Like there's a hole in their lives. It would be interesting to ask that question, wouldn't it? Like, if I'm not here, or if we're not here, or if this church isn't here, who would care? She's not there. People care. <laughs> Who's going to make the two? Like, how, how are we going to be dressed? We don't have anything. She cared for us. So they call for Peter. Doesn't say they're expecting her to come do, expecting him to come do some sign, wonder, miracle, but you you get the impression that's what they're hoping for, don't you? Hey, we heard Peter's nearby, and this crucial member of the team has died. Get that guy over here. So they call for him and he comes by. Come without delay. Don't waste any time. Again, this feels a lot like the sort of thing Jesus would do. He'd show up, people get raised from the dead. Why not Peter? Come on. So Peter shows up. Just like that time Jesus raised a girl from the dead, he sends everybody out. And he tells her, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, get up. Same word, by the way, in the original Greek for the resurrection of Jesus. Arise. And again, the author of Acts wants us to see like Jesus is doing his work through Peter. The risen Lord is bringing resurrection life to real human bodies through his church. And Peter, you know, he was, it, it looks like when he set out on this trip, he wasn't planning to go to Joppa. They sent for him. Come on, man. Come without delay. And what's his posture? All right, if that's what the Lord wants, I'm coming. Because remember, everything is yes to Jesus. Everything is yes to Jesus. My schedule is yes to Jesus. The people who get my time and energy, yes to Jesus. So he shows up. And he says to her, Tabitha, get up. Next thing we read, she opens her eyes. She sees Peter. She sits up. He gives her his hand. He helps her up. And then he shows her to everybody. This became known throughout Joppa, we are told, and almost verbatim, the story with Aeneas, many believed in the Lord. So again, what if Peter hadn't been everything yes to Jesus? What if he'd held some things back? Maybe those people don't know Jesus if Peter isn't all yes to Jesus. 
They don't come to become believers. But he's got, he's thoroughly committed. His heart is filled with love. He is at the Lord's disposal. And so when Jesus calls, Peter goes. And when he gets there, Jesus works resurrection life into a person's body. Dead body. Corpse. And then people meet Jesus. Why? Because when we embody the character of Christ, people are drawn to Christ. When people see the life of Jesus in His church, He draws people to Himself. Didn't He say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to Myself? And don't we believe that? How do we lift Him up? We say, yes, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Not only with my mouth, but with my life. Won't you allow your Holy Spirit to come and renovate me and transform me so that my life is marked by your character? And when that happens, when that happens, he uses us, his people, to draw our neighbors and the nations to himself. When we embody the character of Christ, those around us are drawn to Christ. Now, if we're familiar with the big picture of the Bible, this shouldn't be a big surprise, should it? I was reading through this text, thinking about this sermon, and I couldn't help but think about Exodus, excuse me, Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, you may know it, we talk about it with some regularity. God says to the Hebrew people, the nations will know that I am the Lord. So this is that, how do people know God is God question. Ever ask that question? The Bible asks that question, and the Bible answers that question. God says to the Hebrew people, the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is Ezekiel 36, 23. The nations will know that I am the Lord when I show my holiness. And if he'd stop there, we'd been good, right? <laughs> Just hold it right there, period, full stop. You show your holiness, they'll know your God, and we can just sit back and watch, and everything's cool, right? But the verse doesn't end there, does it? You know this. That the nations will know that I am the Lord. The nations will know that God is God. God says, when I show my holiness through you. Before their very eyes. And if we're like the Hebrew people, and most of us are, our reaction is, hang on a second. You just spent 20 verses talking about how sinful we are and unholy we are. What's this business about showing your holiness through us? And God says, I'm glad you asked, because I got a plan for that. And the plan is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to pour my spirit into you. I'm going to take out your rock-solid stone heart. I'm going to give you a soft heart. And when my spirit gets hold of your body, you'll be able to honor me with your life. You'll keep my laws and obey my statutes. So 
So you're saying, God, that you have the power not just to do something for us, but to do something in us. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You're saying that despite all of my treachery and all of my darkness and all of my deceitfulness, all of my sin, you can take out my rock-solid, stony heart and give me a new heart. You can regenerate me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And when you do, you're saying, like, let me get this straight, God. You're saying that when you do that, when you regenerate me, when you take out the old life, the old death, and give me new life, the old heart, a new heart, you make that change, and that change comes with the presence of your Spirit. You're saying that I will be able, because I make excuses a lot, so we got to get clear on this, right? <laughs> make excuses a lot for when I don't honor you with my life. You know, I'm just a sinner after all. Let me get this straight. You're saying when you make that change, that change means I'll be able to say yes to you, to honor you with my life. All the time. Like not just like Wednesdays and Sundays, but Mondays and Fridays. <laughs> it's hard to honor God on Mondays sometimes, isn't it? And God's answer is yes. That's my plan. You embody my character, the nations come to know me. Luke understood that when he wrote Acts. And he includes these stories that we skip, just a few verses about some random guy in some town we haven't heard of. To make the point that when God's people say yes to him, yes to your mission, yes to your kingdom, yes to your lordship, yes to the church, yes to service, yes to to the mission, to all of it, yes, Jesus, yes. When we do that, He shows up and His blood washes away our sin and His Spirit fills our bodies. And the nations and our neighbors come to know that God is God and that He loves them because he's shown that perfect love through you how will the nations know God loves them if his church doesn't love them how does Aeneas get healed if Peter doesn't show up and says Jesus Christ heals you how do the nations know Jesus loves them if the people of God doesn't show up, don't show up and say, Jesus loves you. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And now he reigns in heaven over all things, actively engaged in the thoroughgoing redemption of the world and the realization of that redemption in every place for every people. These aren't just random little stories that Luke thought would be cute, so let's throw it in there. These stories are driven by the truth of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Thursday, Friday, dead in the grave on Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday, the suffering servant who poured out his life, who said yes, 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 
All is yes for Jesus on Good Friday. All is yes for Him. Nothing held back. He is thoroughly devoted to His mission, to the kingdom, and to your redemption. All is yes for Him. And when all is yes for Jesus, things happen. Lives get changed. You get changed. I get changed. Churches get changed. And the world gets filled with the beauty of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And the nations know that God is God. The nations know that God is God. That big, big picture permeates these little obscure stories. And they all turn on this week and next Sunday. So what stops us? What keeps us? From that all yes. What keeps, what keeps me from embodying the character of Jesus consistently? Because it, like, it seems pretty easy, right? Like, show up, represent Jesus, embody his character. People, like, he gets glorified, people get drawn to him. Because, like, pretty straightforward. And yet there are things in us that keep it from being really straightforward. Or at least obscure it. Or at least hinder it to some degree, don't they? Things that hinder us. We don't want people to think we're those kinds of Christians. What are those kinds of Christians? Well, whichever kind you don't want people to think you are. I thought specifically, since this is a healing story, of some of those kind of Christians who get on TV and you know sweat on a handkerchief and send it to you in the mail for $29.99 and promise healing. Right? And we think, man, like, if I go around telling people you're healed in Jesus' name, I know Peter did it, but I don't want to sound like that guy. I don't want people to think I'm one of those kind of crazy jokers. Again, notice like the healing ministries are not characteristic of every believer in Acts. It's primarily the apostles. When the gospel goes to a new place, the apostles do these signs and wonders. But generally, people are planting churches and taking care of each other. That's, the, that's kind of the big, like that's what normally happens with normal Christians. I'm not saying normal Christians don't ever see miraculous signs. But if you read what Peter's experience is and think that automatically de facto is the experience of every Christian, that's not really the way the text reads. What are we expected to do? Show up and say yes to Jesus. And see what he does. So don't worry about being like the weirdos on TV. <laughs> We're not mailing anybody anybody's handkerchiefs in the mail. We're not promising anything. None of that. Just okay. Just just go take care of somebody in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's not the famous weird crazy people on TV. Sometimes it's random people in small towns. We don't want to be like this guy, you know, if I I who tried to evangelize the preacher in Union Springs six or seven years ago, or maybe longer than that, maybe 10 years now. I was out, we were like, before we moved from Union Springs to Mobile, appointment season and all, we had a yard sale, and uh, Parsonage was across the street from the church, guy shows up at the yard sale. He's got a book he wrote, and uh, it's an evangelism book, and he comes up and starts trying to evangelize me. I was like, hey man, that's great, good to meet a brother. I'm the pastor of the church across the street. 
Well, it was a Methodist church, so clearly I needed to be evangelized. Amen? <laughs> he just kept on going, right? Like, that was like, I don't care if you are a Methodist preacher, you need Jesus. <laughs> and I found myself thinking, wow, you know, like, how off putting. Like, I just sat here and testified to the truth of the gospel to you. And you're trying to persuade me of the truth of the, go- truth of the gospel. And one of the reasons we don't say yes to Jesus to talk about him is because we don't want people to think we're that kind of jerk. Right? Because everybody who talks about it, Because we, we believe or we have this perception or this fear that people think everybody who talks to people about Jesus is like that guy. And, we don't, and we're not like that guy. And we don't want people to think we're like that guy. You don't have to be like that guy to say yes to Jesus and lift him up to your neighbors and your cousins and your children. So let's let's just name those things and say, like, that's not what's going on, and we're not going to let those kind of weird stories keep us from doing what Christ has called us to. What else hinders us? Bad habits hinder us. We have been, many of us, habituated in the home and the church to think that everything (laughs) revolves around us and exists primarily to serve us. We habituate our children to think that, and we habituate church members to think that. There is a balance in church life where we serve each other, but we serve everybody outside the walls too. And when churches get so consumed with making sure that like, all the energy happens inside the walls, nobody ever shows up in Lydda, and that guy's still crippled. It's a both and, not an either or. We've got to take care of each other, but we've got to find some people out there who need to be taken care of too, don't we? Yes to Jesus inside the walls, yes to Jesus outside the walls. All the way around. We've been habituated into, into focusing on our interests. We are habituated into focusing on, this is the way I want it. This is the way I prefer it. This is the way I want things to happen. One of the things I've learned is that things rarely happen the way I want them to happen. <laughs> Very rarely. <laughs> In fact, I'm having difficulty remembering a time something happened the way I wanted it to happen. Jesus usually has other plans. The one who reigns in heaven over earth usually has other plans. And here's what I found. They tend to be better plans. Let's forget the word tend. They're just better plans. I don't always like them. And sometimes I'd rather not get involved with them. But it turns out If I had just said yes to him and stopped trying to call the shots myself, I would have found out more quickly that his plan was a better plan. And chances are somebody might have met him more soon, met him sooner. So we get habituated into this my way or the highway kind of thing. And friends, churches that are committed to my way or the highway die. Churches committed to Jesus' way thrive unquestioningly. 
We are hindered by our fear. What will they think of me? What if I stumble over the words? What if I get it wrong? What if they like start objecting and I can't answer their objections? What if? What if? What if? What if we said yes to Jesus? What if? His character marked our lives. What if we served our Lord, not our fears? Do you think Jesus would make a difference through his people in this place if that were our posture? I think so. When we embody the character of Christ, he draws other people to himself. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.